we're at a point now where AIs will go into the teddy bear and it will monitor an infant's breathing after it's born. It will monitor its sleep patterns. It will be with it all the time. And then that teddy bear, when the kid's just playing by themselves, will teach it vocabulary, will teach it colors, will teach it nursery rhymes. And then as the child gets a little bit older and teddy bears aren't any good, that AI will go into a watch. But that AI will be with that person 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That AI, when that child is 15, 16, 17, is going to know that child better than any parent, any doctor. It has everything. And it's going to be something that the child has grown up with. It's been natural for them. Welcome, everybody, to the Imagine AI podcast. I'm your host, Chris Madden, and today we have with us Sean Olds, the CEO and co-founder of Boodle AI. Sean, thanks for coming on the podcast. Chris, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Very excited to have you as well, because you are a speaker at the Imagine AI conference that's happening two months from now in Las Vegas. We're very excited that you're signed on. I, I'm excited to be there. I'm more so just looking forward. It looks like a, a great crowd that is assembling there. And with how quickly AI has been moving just over the past 12 months or 18 months now, um, excited to be able to get into conversations with people as we begin the year. Oh, yeah. It's been a great momentum. And we have over 150 people signed up now and tons of great speakers. And yeah, I was just talking with Ole Lehman, uh, the CEO and co-founder of AI Solopreneur. He's got like this mm -hmm. newsletter with 30,000 plus followers and yep. like solopreneurs and how to use AI. And he was talking about how it's so great that there's going to be like an in real life community like event of all these builders and founders and and creators coming together around gen, gen ai and, and actually getting the community together in real life as entrepreneurs you tend to get mired down in what you're doing and you forget the everything else that's going on out there and so the opportunity to you know take a day or two and just see all the other amazing things that are out there more so the opportunity to figure out how you could potentially work with those too and incorporate it into your own workflow so it works out about that as well. Yeah, exactly. For individuals, but for enterprise businesses as well. Sean, let's get started a little bit on your background. Can you tell the audience who you are and how up to the point where you kind of discovered AI? That, that would only take me to my sophomore year of college. So I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I went to West Point and was a computer science major there. And I remember I took my first artificial intelligence course in 1992. I remember about three lessons in going to my professor and saying, wow, this is going to be something huge. And I thought in the next couple of years, it was going to be something huge. And didn't realize it had been huge for decades. As you know, AI has been around for a while. And for several more decades, as I went into the army, as I went into other technology startups, um, AI continued to grow, but obviously really hit its stride last year with the advent in generative AI and a way for everybody to be able to use AI much easier, not just computer programmers or specialists in AI data scientists. Great. And so where and how did you get the idea for Boodle AI? Sure. So after college, there's not a lot of room or there wasn't in 1992, at least, or 94 when I graduated for AI in the army. And so I went out and did uh, more automations, communications type stuff. I couldn't fall out of airplanes properly though. So the army kicked me out and that was the late nineties. And I got into the startup boom. 
and uh, worked with a company called eToys.com initially. We started on pre-A round, rode them A round, B round, C round, IPO, uh, $7.5 billion valuation, if I remember correctly, and then debt spiral and bankruptcy. eToys.com? eToys.com was an amazing platform. And what was interesting is I found out about a decade later, technology was so strong, Amazon was actually trying to buy it out of bankruptcy because at the time it was one of the few technologies that could compete with them. But it gave me the bug and started building more companies and continue to do that over the past couple of decades. Uh, I did take a brief respite after September 11th to return to government service doing counterterrorism work in Southwest Asia and Africa, but then left that to go back to grad school and went back into building companies, went overseas for eight years to the Middle East and a little bit of time in South Africa. Got really focused on more data analytics um, towards the end there. And it was my co-founder, France Hong, who I went to ranger school with. He was my ranger buddy in ranger school. We'd stayed in touch over the years. And one of the big commonalities we shared is for 20 plus years post-graduation, we both served on nonprofit boards. And France got really frustrated with how inefficient nonprofit boards were from a technology perspective. They were horrible. They, they won't say they are now. The, the, the pandemic did a lot to accelerate technology adoption in nonprofits. They had to just survive. Um, mm-hmm. But prior to 2000, nonprofits were 20 years behind in the technology space. I did a LinkedIn post this week where I lamented. I remembered being in a board meeting in 1999 and we were debating whether we needed a website. And there were people there saying, no, this is just a fad. This is never going to take off or do anything, this internet thing. And so they've never been prone to be early adopters. And so France's idea was, hey, let's build a platform that leverages AI to help nonprofits raise money more efficiently, really targeted on their donors. And so in 2016, that's what we did. And we built a platform that initially was for nonprofits. We expanded to sales and marketing teams and continue to grow that. And up until last year, when we discovered the generative AI. And I'll tell you, Chris, one of the big problems we had in the nonprofit space, but even in the sales and marketing space, is no matter how beautiful and complete our UI was, if a sales director or a marketing director or a fundraising development officer walked in in the morning with a question on their mind, if they couldn't find it in our UI, even though the answer was there, our software was useless to them. And what we realized with generative AI and the 35 billion insights we had built on how people donate and consume in this country, we could use generative AI to pour through those and give that development director or give that sales director the exact answer they wanted. And so that bore out BoodleBox, which is our latest platform, which we launched at the end of last year. And BoodleBox allows people to bring all of their generative AI work together in one place. It also allows them to adopt it more easily because it doesn't require them to become a prompt engineer. We have almost a thousand utility bots that actually prompt people in conversation to build it for them. And then finally, we've built it for teams because one of the big things right now, I'm sure you've used ChatGPT and Bard and, and all those other platforms. It's a very lonely experience. If I accomplish something and want to share it with you, I've got to send you a screenshot. And so what we wanted to do was allow teams to collaborate and use it more easily. Whether they're using ChatGPT within our platform or using one of our meta utility bots, they can easily share it across the team. That's great. Uh, seen on LinkedIn that did Boodle start in 2016? It did. And they were doing AI before AI became cool last year. <laughs> and did you have products before you launched Boodle? Our original product was focused on doing predictive analytics powered by oh, okay. AI for mm-hmm. both nonprofits and sales teams. So allowing them to find their best donors, their best customers by leveraging a, an ability to model who those people were and what their affinity was and delivering insights on what's the best way to communicate with them. If you're asking for a donation, what might be 
the best amount to ask for. If you're trying to curate your uh, silent auction, what are those individuals' interest? So you can put items out there they actually care about and not just items that you were able to get and people are going to bid on out of obligation. Okay, sweet. Who do you see as your like ideal demographic your product would be most helpful for? So on Boodlebox, what we've evolved into, so we're taking that legacy platform I just talked about, the, the predictive analytics, and we've built a middle layer agent. So we have a Boodle GPT that will go in the Boodlebox marketplace. And so now with Boodlebox, our ideal customer, our ICP, would be a, a work team. So we're trying to target the work teams who maybe have kind of touched on generative AI, but they haven't really used it a lot. Or maybe it's the team who's got the one chat GPT super user and everyone else just doesn't know how to prompt engineer and they don't want to learn how to do it. Well, now that chat GPT super user can use Boodlebox because they can still access chat GPT via Boodlebox. But now they can leverage our utility bots to pull the rest of their team in. So their team never needs to worry about how to become a prompt engineer. They collaborate to, together in Boodlebox and like everyone's kind of using different AI agents within Boodlebox and one place to communicate with your team and use all of these AI agents. Absolutely. Think of it as kind of a, a funnel where all of the different LLMs and the middle layer AI companies are able to come in. And now with one user interface, with one login, I can log in and I can ask ChatGPT to write a first draft of an email I need to respond to an investor. And then I can ask Claude to improve upon it and make it better. And then I can save that chat into a box with my team and I could tag you, Chris, and ask you to continue the chat. So rather than just save something and take a screenshot and send it to you, and if you want to do something with it, you have to start the conversation all over in your instance of Claude or Bard or ChatGPT, you can just pick up the conversation where I left off with those same LLMs or the same agents that you may be leveraging. How many agents do people have available to them in Boodlebox? So right now, we, as I said, we have almost a thousand agents that do specified tasks. And then as well as the big names, you know, ChatGPT, Bard via Palm, Llama, Stable Diffusion, Claude, and we'll continue to add more as we grow. Can you explain to the viewer the landscape right now for these different competing generative AI companies? Sure. I mean, the dominant player, I just saw a LinkedIn post today from one of the big voices in generative AI, um, and they had a graphic. And you know, over 60% of the generative AI market is owned by ChatGPT and OpenAI. They have definitely been the dominant player and the most sought out there. But there's a variety of others, you know, nipping at their heels and growing. You've got Claude from Anthropic. You've got Bard from ChatGPT. You've got Mistral and Llama, which are both open source. And that's a big deal because now organizations can run their own instances and be 100% secure that their data is not going back to Microsoft or Google or someone else and being used to train. They can take their own instances and set them up now. And then, of course, you've got the variety of different image providers. You've got Midjourney and Ideagram and Stable Diffusion. And then there's some amazing ones like Runway, which is doing text to video. You know, their growth over the past 12 months has been phenomenal. But there are many different and a growing number of LLMs. There's an even larger number now of middle layer AI companies, companies that have taken their proprietary data, their proprietary insights put them on top of an LLM and have supercharged an industry or a vertical. And those are going to continue to grow. What we haven't found is an easy place to access them all. Both ChatGPT and Po.com have gone so far as to create marketplaces 
But one of the complaints has been is they're uncurated. It's kind of the wild west. You're not sure what you're getting. As we launch our marketplace, we're doing a very curated marketplace. The other thing we do is we help people because no one has time to sift through a thousand bots to figure out which one they want to use. And so we built a recommendation engine in. And so as you type in what you want in a very conversational manner, not as a prompt, our recommendation engine will recommend the various bots or middle layer agents that you could make use of. So you mentioned um, these open source LLMs and how it could be beneficial for companies to kind of protect their data and have it be sent back to Microsoft or Google. How does Boodle AI use a company's data and like share it between the bots? And how does that work? We only use a company's data as they outline us to do. We don't train models. We don't have our own LLM and we don't want to. Um, It's one of our strengths, we believe, because we're completely unbiased. I'm not recommending a particular model because I need to make money from it. I'm recommending a particular model because we know it does better. So as a quick example, my daughter at night, when she has to do her Singapore math, she's in fourth grade, she wants ChatGPT to help her because it does a really good job at explaining how to get to the solution, not the answer, right? So she'll log into BoodleBox and she'll ask ChatGPT, she'll give it the problem and have it explain how to accomplish it. At night, when we get ready to go to bed, she will not let ChatGPT write a bedtime story because she thinks its bedtime stories are horrible. She finds Claude to be much more creative. And so through BoodleBox, she'll use Claude to write a bedtime story. And people are finding that. They're finding certain LLMs do certain things better for them. And so that's where they want to be able to use it. Right now, you're kind of, if you want to get all your work in one area, you've got to store it all in ChatGPT and keep it there. One of the problems is it doesn't necessarily keep context for long periods of time. It will lose that context over time. Um, What we've created with the continued chat is the ability to keep that in perpetuity. And so you start a conversation, whether it's on your own, Chris, because of research you're doing and you want to get your podcast better and the questions you ask even stronger, like you can let it learn over time what you've been doing and make recommendations and improvements. And it's going to make better recommendations six months from now than it makes today because you'll be able to continue that chat through. A team could do the same thing. So imagine a consulting firm that's working with a client. As they start, they could start their own conversation with that client and all the information about that client going into it. And now as they get six months down the road, that AI is going to be a lot stronger for them. But what they don't want is they don't want any of that client data going out anyplace else. They want to be able to keep that segregated in in a way. Right now, one of the ways companies are doing that is by setting up their own instances of various platforms to make sure that that doesn't happen. Okay, so the company can choose what data they want to store in Boodle AI and chatbots can keep all that stuff for reference and learn from you and your, your company. Correct. But without sending it externally to anybody. Yeah. On the top of your head, what language models work best for that? You know, for example, we have a team of video editors help different podcasters. And there's a lot of like institutional knowledge that we have of best tips and practices and everything. And it'd be nice to be able to like upload that or tell an agent that and have them remember it so that our editors can ask questions on that knowledge. Is there one that you recommend? Yeah. So I, I have trouble doing that because someone's going to watch this podcast three months from now mm. and <laughs> and it'll my, my recommendation will be obsolete. I mean, it's comical to me. If you look at 2023, almost every month, the LLMs were leapfrogging, right? ChatGPT definitely came out. But then there was a month, I think it was somewhere around July or August where Claude had destroyed ChatGPT. 
And then the announcement of Llama was going to destroy it. And then just last month, Mistral was going to destroy everybody else. The the French uh, the French entrepreneurs destroyed the entire U.S. LLM market was one of the headlines. So they're constantly evolving. They're constantly getting better. In a lot of ways, there are a lot of people who believe this will just become commoditized, much like the cloud became commoditized. But what is great today could be third or fourth best a week from now. What I tell people is you've really got to get in and you've got to you got to test it out for your particular needs and decide what's going to work best for you. And that's one of the, the reasons we think Boodle provides a big advantage is you don't need 10 different logins to 10 different platforms. You can log into Boodle and then test them out and compare them. And I do that all the time. Like I will have a new thing I need to get done. I need to write my quarterly investor letter. And I'll do the first draft and then I'll put it into both ChatGPT and Bard and see who does a better job doing an edit of it. And then I can try and get comfortable with which one I want to help me with my investor letters in the future. No, I think that's a huge positive. I mean, for me right now, I only play around with ChatGPT and use that just because it's consistent and stuff. And honestly, I'd love to have a place where I could just like easily try out these other ones without having to create new accounts, see the benefits of each one. And you as a company, how do you stay on the cutting edge of all of this then? I mean, because everything's changing so quickly and the recommendations that Boodle's giving people, like how do you keep all that stuff up to date? Well, first and foremost, we're very fortunate to have an amazing chief data officer. Her name is Kisa Brostrom, just an absolute phenom in the, the data science and AI space. She's also a great leader and has hired an amazing data science team. And so we have everyone from someone we just hired out of college last May to, you know, accomplished graduate students who have done amazing things in the space. And they are constantly on the cutting edge. And they're R&D team. They're constantly testing things out, getting four weeks in and realizing, hey, this just isn't going to work. And then going back and figuring out what is going to work. And then you couple that with product visionaries, which I'm very fortunate to have. Our, our chief experience officer was our VP of product. He still manages product. Mike Alonzo, uh, you know, amazing front end led by Michael Landis, who really starts to be able to picture what is it the user is going to use. And then I'm super fortunate to have a co-founder that is super powered. I mean, he is constantly digging into what's going to be best for the product. What do clients want so that we don't fall into that trap a lot of entrepreneurs do of let, let me build what I want and then teach everybody how to use it. He's constantly getting market feedback. Every time we come up with an idea before we launch it, Let's talk to a couple of customers and see what they think about it and not being shy about, hey, we're not getting any traction on this. We're not going to force this down people's throat. Let's get something that makes a lot of sense and put that out there. That's exciting. How big is your team? We have a 13 person team right now. Over the past seven months, we've been supplemented by a team of about five contractors who have been phenomenal helping us really push things forward. That's great. You mentioned your co-founder earlier in the podcast. How did you two meet and what was the kind of founding story there? Sure. Yeah. We actually both attended West Point. We were a year apart. We didn't meet there. We ended up meeting the year after he graduated in the U.S. Army Ranger School. And so we went through Ranger School together, stayed in touch over the years. And I was back from Abu Dhabi visiting the U.S. and he heard I was in town. And uh, we went out to lunch and he wrote on the back of that ubiquitous napkin you always hear about, the idea of Boodle. And as I said, it was just born out of the frustration of what it takes to raise money for nonprofits. And like me, he had sat on nonprofit boards for 20 years and had a lot of failures, unforced failures, I should say, you know, development teams that were not raising money when they could have very easily. And so the idea of Boodle was to provide us the ability to not have to spend the next 20 years of sitting on boards, banging our heads against the wall with inadequate technology. 
What do you think your biggest advantage has with your military background heading into this like founder entrepreneurial startup space? The military tells you it does its specialty schools just to give you a bigger suck up factor. And ranger school is probably the one that gives you the biggest suck up factor. And, you know, you realize that as soon as you go in the military, you know, there are days that are just miserable in the military. And I would always look back and go, well, it's not as bad as it was in ranger school. And the same thing happens when you become an entrepreneur. There have been days where you pull three back to back all nighters and you're tired and you're exhausted. But I'm like, well, I get to eat every day. Like all you took from you was sleep. And I'm not, you know, pulling a hundred pound, you know, ruck on my back, walking around, I'm in a comfortable chair with, you know, cushions on it. So you realize in life, you've gone through worse. And when you've got a business partner who's done the same thing and gone through the same crucible, it definitely makes it a lot easier. The other nice thing is, you know, France is someone we're we're cut from the same cloth. I've known him for 20 years. He is godfather to my youngest. He and his wife are godparents to my youngest. My wife and I are godparents to his youngest. It's someone I trust implicitly. Like I don't ever have to worry about checking my six. I know that all I have to do is pay attention to what we have ahead of us and going and taking it down. And that's a big deal in an entrepreneurial startup. Yeah, for sure. And how about your like daily routine? Are you like waking up and doing like push-ups in the morning to start your day or... I do try to get to the gym in the morning. My running days are long gone, but I still try and get in the pool a few times a week. And once I got over 40, I quit trying to be offensive on my workouts Mm -hmm. and uh, being a little bit more defensive and just doing stuff that won't get me hurt. Yeah. Yeah. You're not trying to go kickboxing or anything. (laughs) There's no no Muay Thai for me. (laughs) Yeah. How do you kind of keep the balance? What, What arrangement do you have with your wife on that? Yeah. I'm sure my wife and kids will tell you I do a horrible job at it. The exciting thing with Box. so when we were building Boodle for all those years, it was not a platform I could share with the family. It was not a platform that I even used on a day-to-day basis. What's been exciting over the past year for both France and I is that Box is something I use daily, if not hourly. I didn't realize previous to using Box how much I used Google and Google search and how much I was on there. But what's exciting is I can use Box for the family. I brought it to the dinner table the other night to plot out our vacation. We have a, you know, there's a travel bot AI that can make recommendations on things you should do. As I mentioned, I use it to, I mean, it was actually a saving grace. I had no idea what Singapore math was uh, before this year when my daughter started learning it. And the first 30 minutes I tried to coach her, both dad and daughter were in tears. I had the epiphany to pull out Box, and I asked it, don't give me the answer. Tell me how to solve this. And, you know, 10 seconds later, it pops up a complete walkthrough. And my daughter looks at it and through her tears, looks at me and goes, Papa, why didn't you just say that the first time? You know, I'm able to use it for that. We're able to use it for bedtime stories. My son, who's five, loves building graphics on it. You know, he gets to build a six wheeled race car with racing stripes and a spoiler on the back jumping off ramps. 10 seconds later, that exact image pops up for him. So you brought up the kind of multimedia aspect of generative AI. So on Boodle, what, they've got Dolly and Midjourneys? We don't have Midjourney. Our main image provider is Stable Diffusion. We would love to get Midjourney in there. We'll work on it. Ideagram, and there's a variety of others. We plan to get as as many as we can into the platform. But it is. It's fascinating. Like we had a, you know, I, I watched one of our customers the other day, which is a nonprofit, They used the LinkedIn social posting bot that we have in our platform to help them write a post with emojis for their race they're going to do July 4th. They wanted to announce it. 
And then once the bot had produced it, it called on Stable Diffusion to do an image that talked about that post. And Stable Diffusion produced this amazing red, white uh, person uh, is running shoes. It was basically legs inside of running shoes. The running shoes were red, white, and blue. And in the back, you saw a bunch of American flags. And they did that all in, you know, less than 60 seconds. And so, you know, they're very quickly able to put their LinkedIn post together along with a graphic that would catch people's attention. Wow. Okay. That kind of brings up the question of like pricing. How does your company approach that? Like you're kind of offering access to all of these different models that, you know, could each take fees to themselves if you went there individually. How do you guys do it? Yeah. We didn't want to get it real confusing because they're all priced differently. And so we didn't want people to have to worry about how much they were being charged for this one or that one. And Mm -hmm. so we just made a flat rate. The entry level Boodle Beyond is $9.99 a month and it gets you up to 40,000 words using any of our utility bots, any of the other LLMs. If you want to go up to 100,000 words, it's $19.99 a month. And up to 200,000 words, it's $29.99 a month. Do you have a like customer success story that you could share? One of our nonprofit users who did their fundraising campaign last year, all manually kind of, you know, put it together, all of that, the copy, the photos, everything else took them a long time. And, you know, they were content with what they raised, but not excited. Using Boodlebox this past year for the same campaign, they doubled their donations and did it in a fraction of the time. Second success story I would put on the business side. One of our users was beginning her business and I had planned several months to put it together. And because of the role plan, and and part of that was going to be going out and doing research and talking to people and kind of asking a bunch of questions to a series of different people. Instead, she exercised our role playing bots that we have available and she had them take on certain personas. And she did all those conversations much faster. So she was able to do what she expected to take several months, all down to about one month. Yeah, I mean, it's a really cool value proposition to have all those different chatbots available. And it would feel like you're not missing anything. Like there's no angle that you'd be potentially missing by just choosing, you know, one of the different ones. I, I've got kind of some general questions about AI that we could go into. I wonder if anything else about the business that you want to talk about here. Our big thing is that we really want to focus on helping teams. McKinsey cited that more than 90% of CEOs want AI incorporated into their workflows over the next five years. There was another study that showed that 80% of companies want more collaboration tools in their business, especially as we move more remote. The problem is we've only got less than 10% of the workforce that's actually using generative AI. And so generative AI is an amazing tool that you can integrate into workflows like leadership wants, and you can use it to collaborate with teams. And so we do believe there are some shortcomings in a lot of the Gen AI platforms on that collaboration side. And so what we wanted to do was provide the ecosystem where those generative AI tools can do what they're good at, which is building an LLM. And we can provide the ecosystem around it that allows the collaboration for teams to leverage them even better. Yeah, it's really good. And just seeing the business side of it, you're looking at what people want, what businesses want and what they're going to need. They want people to be using AI more and they want to be more collaborative. And you're offering a product that does both those things. So very cool. I talked with um, another speaker that's going to be at Imagine AI Live and he's got a enterprise software business with 100 plus employees over the world and he like woke up a year ago just with this like generated AI changes everything and he just made it a top priority for everybody at the company that 
that they have to be AI first marketing and just did this really cool challenge to everybody. Like, you know, everyone's got to contribute AI tips to the community and we're going to have a points based uh, system of see who can contribute the most tips. And he ended up like letting go 20% of his team. And he was very transparent about like the 20% of the team that doesn't have this AI first mindset. You're not right for this company. And there were people, I mean, there's a lot of people that are, you know, hesitant and, you know, don't want to take these things that kind of improve your system and your processes and they're hesitant about it. And, you know, him as the CEO of his ship, he wanted to get everybody on board and, and thinking the same way about AI. So it's a smart move. There's a adage going around that it, AI is not coming to replace people's jobs, but someone who is using AI is coming to replace you in your job if you don't use it. I mean, that sounds like exactly what he went through is the people who weren't willing to put AI as the mindset going forward for their business. They're the ones that got relieved. I had the opportunity last summer to have a lunch with a group of people with the head of AI for Google. Uh, someone asked, her, like, so is this going to help you, you know, reduce your, your workforce? And he said, it's the exact opposite for us. He goes, we measured our productive code in the six months previous to launching generative AI versus the post six months. And he says, after the launch of generative AI, we produced 38% more productive code. We don't look at that as an ability to reduce our workforce. We look at that as how much more we can do with the same budget, with the same cost. And I think that's how a lot of companies are going to look for it. If they know that their workforce is leveraging it, they know they're getting more out of them and they can produce more. Yeah. And I should say that the 20% of the CEO did let go. He hired, he replaced them with people that were AI first minded. How do you think AI changes work culture? Going forward? One, I want to caveat my answer with what I told you at the outset. My predictions on AI don't pan out because at 19, I thought, AI was going to be the next big thing in the few years, and, and it took a little bit longer. I think a lot of people are, are going to see. I mean, what I'm seeing within our environment, it empowers all people a little bit more. We used to joke before generative AI that my co-founder had a, a second one of him. And in fact, when we went into Zoom, he went so far as to do those automated Zoom backgrounds. And we we're on a call with him, and we didn't realize this automated Zoom background, and another one of him started walking in the background. But and it was just because he used to get so much done in a 24-hour period. He's doing even more in a 24-hour period with the power of generative AI. The people who are average performers are going to become even more powerful. Now, what it's going to do is reset the bar, right? Managers are going to have a higher expectation now. And to your point, the person who's not using generative AI or AI in some way, they're going to stand out because they're going to look a lot weaker in performance-wise than a lot of their peers. So one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to reset as a society and what our expectations are and how quickly things should get done, how thoroughly they should get done. As far as culture, um, from a Boodle perspective, we've always pushed the human machine team. We've always pushed the fact, and, and I was with an organization the other day who was like, well, I don't want to use generative AI because it hallucinates or it's not always right. And I said, well, if you're going in asking for something to be always right, you're looking at it completely wrong. I said, the perspective you need to take is that you've just hired a graduate student and you've brought them in into a mid-level position. Would you hire a graduate student, sit them at a desk, not talk to them, and then take whatever they produce and just hand it to a client without looking at it? No. You would bring that graduate student in, you would teach them a little bit, you'd bring them up to speed, and then you give them a task. And then they would go do a whole bunch of grunt work you don't want to do to get, accomplish that task. And then you would look at it and you would teach them what they did wrong and what they did right. And then you would deliver it to the client. In that time, they're going to learn. And now the next time they have to do it, they're going to be better at it. And that's what generative AI is going to give us. It's going to give us 
coworkers that we can work with, they're never going to be perfect, but no one you hire is going to be perfect, but they're going to get better and better over time. And they're going to be much faster than most humans you could ever work with. Yeah, they're never going to get tired. They're never going to talk back to you. No, I just say no. no. I mean, the, the generative AI never gets tired of her questions. Yeah, I think what generative AI can do for education is incredible. It's going to be this huge tide that can lift everybody up that has access to it. It can be a personalized tutor. It knows where your current level of education is and whatever subject matter and the zone of proximate development and just egg you on a little bit more and refresh the stuff you already know and, and push you a little bit further. And I get tired and do it in a way that is, you know, entertaining, encouraging. And it could be in a form of a teddy bear or something or like, you know, or some doll, you know, and... So you asked about work culture. One of my mentors is a gentleman named Peng Ong. Peng runs Monk Hill Ventures now. First, he has three unicorns he's created, but his first one was he was the CTO and uh, co-founder of Match.com back in the 90s. But super accomplished guy. But he wrote an article last summer about how we're at a point now where AIs will go into the teddy bear and it will monitor an infant's breathing after it's born. It will monitor its sleep patterns. It will be with it all the time. And then that teddy bear, when the kid's just playing by themselves, will teach it vocabulary, will teach it colors, will teach it nursery rhymes. And then as the child gets a little bit older and teddy bears aren't any good, that AI will go into a watch. But that AI will be with that person 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That AI, when that child is 15, 16, 17, is going to know that child better than any parent, any doctor. It has everything. And it's going to be something that the child has grown up with. It's been natural for them. You know, the way you and I grew up with, you know, any variety of things. I didn't grow up with the internet. My kids have. That type of change, that shift where humans may trust an AI because it knows them better than anything else in the world more than they do their own parents or siblings or friends is a huge shift because today everybody's out there, oh, AI, shut it down. It's dangerous. Like we don't trust it because we haven't grown up with it yet. And so what happens in a work culture, I think is TBD and there'll be some changes, but the bigger and, and more interesting question is what just happens culturally? You know, we have a generation of kids that will be born over the next five years that will grow up with AI as much as you grew up with a television or a car. Yeah, definitely. You gave me a goosebumps there because that changes so much. And I think the thing with AI, why people are so hesitant about it, it's just like it fundamentally, you know, ask us, what does it mean to be a human being and to be parents, to raise your kids, you know? And a lot of people wouldn't like that idea of thing that's constantly monitoring and picking up and analyzing things and teaching and the same time, that person that's going to get so much more developmental input than somebody that parents are working and they can't be around it as much. Think about 16-year-old you. I know at 16, I thought my parents didn't have a clue because they were old fogies, right? And so if I had an unbiased AI, has no you know stake in the game, giving me advice that I like versus my you know old-fashioned parents who just don't get it and don't understand you know where people are today, where am I going to lean? I'd probably lean towards the AI. That AI has to be very well ethically trained because, you know, the 16 year old me might be asking AI how to get out of uh, gym class or something and, <laughs> and how to manipulate my parents to give me more video game time or something. <laughs> right. Do you have any more like stories you've heard recently about AI like that one and people you've been talking with? You touched on it a minute ago, and that's in the education space. I did read an article about a month ago where the author, and I can't remember who, who authored the article, but presupposed that 
one of the biggest industries to be impacted by generative AI is going to be education. And he judged the impact by what has that industry done over the past several hundred years versus what's going to happen in the next 10 years. And, you know, education, you and I may be a little bit, you know, different in age and, and you've got people who are, you know, behind that. My parents, it's down to the kids in school right now. We all went through the same thing. We walk into a classroom with 20 to 30 kids and one teacher and one lesson plan. Right. And we all did arithmetic for an hour. We all did social studies for an hour. We all did spelling for an hour. And you go down the list. Well, now with the advent of generative AI, teachers in very short time will be empowered to have a unique lesson plan for each student. And so if you happen to be a math whiz and you don't need a full hour of math, you only need 30 minutes. But let's say grammar is your weak point. Well, now in the same school day, you could spend an hour and a half on grammar getting better at it and only a half hour on math, which is all you need, and vice versa for the students that are you know, just the opposite of you. And so now in that eight-hour day at school, we can have personalized lessons plans per student, which really focus on where they need to do the best to get every student to a kind of an even keel, rather than every student had the same thing, and some students have Bs or Cs in things, and some students have As in things. And if you're able to do that, what does that say for the level of education across the board for all students as they get promoted from each grade and eventually graduate into university? Yeah, it's so potentially beneficial to everyone to the common level. And as a teacher, I was a former teacher for like 10 years and just the amount of the weaker students that potential to help them out and give them a more fighting chance to like catch up with everybody else because of AI is really uh, inspiring. I mean, it's going to come to pass. It's just a matter of implementing it. And then, you know, the one thing is asking students and stuff to be more reliant on screens, potentially. That's one of the hard things in schools right now is like a lot of schools have this like, you know, phone policy where kids can have their phones on them and they can be on TikTok and stuff. And they're just, you know, their attention spans are just getting so short, but that's, that's a different matter. Uh, Sean, it's been a fascinating conversation and, and I'm really glad that we could dive deep on a uh, Boodle AI. And I think the benefit of it is very uh, apparent that you know, using all of these AI chat tools and then the collaborative nature of it for teams and really excited to have you at the Imagine AI Live conference to talk about it and other topics. Do you know what your uh, speech is going to be about yet? I'm still working on that with your team, but I think one of the things we'll look at is just how teams use generative AI, which is, you know, by then I'll probably have a lot more use cases as we're onboarding more teams and what they're able to do and what they're able to accomplish, both from a use case perspective as well as industry perspective. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, I've seen some of the other speakers that are going to be there. I think they're just going to be, you know, not only amazing topics, but just a lot of really good substance, which will be exciting. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a very good topic just how teams can collaborate and, and use ai and seeing where you know kind of get paint a picture of how things were done and how things could be done you know well sean thank you so much and talk Thanks to you for soon. See, really enjoyed yeah, it. see you in la in two months look forward to seeing you